Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. We're doing a study in the book of Numbers. Uh, uh, we're not uh, giving a, necessarily a verse-by-verse explanation of everything, but we're using these uh, verses of Scripture to uh, teach us the lessons that God has for us, I believe, uh, the principles uh, that he uh, used in Old Testament Israel And there are things that apply to us today, even though there are some details that may not apply to us, there are some lessons, some principles that do. And this morning we'll look at the ways and warnings of sin. The ways and warnings of sin. In the last couple of messages, we've been uh, looking at the importance of spiritual cleanliness and confession. Uh, A couple of weeks ago when uh, uh, we were in the study, uh, of course, uh, not being here last week, uh, you had uh, uh, good preachers uh, to fill in, and we're thankful for that. But uh, last last time we looked at the concept of clean and unclean. Uh, That was a vital part of the life uh, in Israel. Cleanliness involved much more than personal hygiene. Uh, It involved being acceptable to God. Uh, in what they ate, or what they wore, uh, how they conducted themselves in the home or in public. And the Israelites were in the infancy of their faith, and God used familiar pictures to teach them spiritual truths. Uh, He compared sin to disease and defilement and holiness to health and cleanliness. Unclean people were put out of the camp until they met the ceremonial requirements for reentry. Uh, We also mentioned the word defiled. The word defiled is used nine times in the fifth chapter of Numbers. There were three kinds of defilement, uh, physical defilement, interpersonal defilement, and the third is marital. We have dealt with the first two already, and today we want to look at the third. And I want us to notice, in particular, two main ideas Uh, the way in which sinful behavior was dealt with, and the warnings about sinful behavior from God's Word. So first of all, the way of sinful behavior. The way of sinful behavior. Now the idea uh, of behavior as it relates to marriage was not only a problem in the Old Testament days, it is a problem today. Faithfulness in marriage is a foundational stone for every society. As as goes the home, goes the nation. In Israel, adultery not only defiled the people involved, but also the land itself. And it was a sin detestable to God. We see this as we would look back in Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, and I'll read a couple of the verses there, a few of the verses there. First of all, verse 20 says, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Defile not ye yourselves to any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast before you. Uh, This is uh, going on in verse 24. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. 
And the land spew not you out also, but ye defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from their people. That was very strong language, was it not? Do you think God thinks any differently about adultery and divorce and those kind of things today? Well, people seem to think so. Adultery was a capital offense in the Old Testament. It proved, if proved guilty, both the adulterer and the adulteress were stoned to death. Now, that's not something to take lightly. But here, here we have, suppose a husband suspected that his wife had been unfaithful to him, but he didn't have a witness to prove it. What could he do? Well, if his suspicions were wrong, the longer his feelings smoldered, the more damage that would be uh, doing to him, his wife, and their family. Uh, if the suspicions were correct, would her sin introduce a, uh, a disease into the family, perhaps? Well, to help solve this problem, the Lord instituted a test. I know this isn't a very pleasant subject to deal with, but I do believe that we can certainly learn from God's word about the importance of faithfulness in marriage, not only from a physical standpoint, but also spiritually. So notice what God did here in the Old Testament and the way in which he dealt with this particular issue. Notice, first of all, the procedure. We see down in chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her an offering with, for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal, and he shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon. For it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. So the husband's bringing the wife to the priest at the door of the tabernacle along with a prescribed offering. And this test was a public event that others could see and hear. And there the priest presented her to the Lord. And behold, because God uh, alone was the judge in this case, and the phrase before the Lord is found four times in our passage here. And the name of the Lord is mentioned twice. Uh, again, in, in, uh, in verse 21. And the offering was a humblest possible gift, the kind a poor person would bring, and it was presented without oil and frankincense. And so this couple would stand before the Lord as the poorest of the poor. Look at verse 17. And the priest shall take holy water in the earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take it and put it into the water. Okay, you have the priest taking water from the labor and the dust from the floor, mixing them in, in a clay vessel. Again, the dust, perhaps a reminder of man's humble origin. Remember what it says in Genesis 2, verse 7, And the Lord formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It also speaks of that in verse 22 and verse 15, And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Notice verse 18, it says, And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and un uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy of offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. Now, 
the priest is loosening the woman's hair, letting the, the hair fall, as it were, in a sense of humbleness and mourning. The woman's hair is her glory, her covering. In this act, she was presenting her glory to the Lord. Nothing hid from him. At the same time, the priest is putting the offering into her hands. Notice verse 19. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another's instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth a curse. Now the priest is putting the wife under an oath before God, pronouncing the curses attached to the oath. And those are in verses 20 and 22. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thine husband, if thou be defiled and some man have lain with thee beside thy husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, the Lord make thee a curse and an oath among the people when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth a curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy rot thigh to rot, and the woman shall say, Amen and Amen. Amen, Amen, means let it be so. Verse 23, And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and shall blot them out with a bitter water. Writing the curses on a scroll, washes them off with the bitter water. Verse 24, And it shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causes the curse, and the water shall cause the curse, shall enter into her and become bitter. So the woman drinks the water. Water bitter, again, is used five times in this passage. Uh, it doesn't mean it's a taste of the water, but it's the effect on her body. If she's guilty, God will send her a bitter suffering. Verse 25, then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it under the altar. And the priest shall take the handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar. And afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her to drink the water, he shall come, it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter and her belly shall swell, her thighs shall rot, and the woman shall be cursed among the people. And if the, if the people, or if the woman, be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. So as the woman drank the water, the priest would offer the offering form uh, uh, from her hands, the offering from, take, take the offering from her hands and present it to the Lord. The woman was a guilty the results would prove it. If she conceived, the baby would miscarry. And if she became barren for the rest of the life, then she would become barren for the rest of her life. She would feel in her body the terrible consequence of her sins and live with those consequences until the day of her death. Now, of course, the Jewish wife, in order in, to be childless, that was a tragedy. For her, the most important task was to give her husband heirs and maintain his name in Israel. Now that's the procedure. But notice, secondly, the issues. We've considered the procedure, but let's consider the issues that are involved in this ceremony. Now there's no record in the scripture that any husband ever used this or ever accused a, uh, an accused wife asked for it. So we don't have a record that this actually took place. We do have the procedure given to us. 
given to Israel. Perhaps the very existence of the law proved a barrier to adultery and a warning that sin would be found out. Now, there are clearly some built-in roadblocks that would make a husband hesitate to rush to a priest and ask for his wife to be tried. To begin with, it was public. It was performed at the door of the tabernacle, and the whole camp would know about it. So, would a husband expose his marital problems out in the open, especially when he didn't know the results of the test? And then what transpired there told something about the husband as well as about the wife. If the husband loved his wife and was deeply hurt by her possible infidelity, why would he want to expose her publicly? But if he didn't love her and wanted to hurt her, he might be embarrassed and proved wrong. A wise man would think twice about having his wife judged this way. So the husband would live with the consequences If his suspicions were proved wrong, he owed his wife an apology and had to work out rebuilding the relationship. If she was found guilty, he had to live with her, wonder who her lover was, and suffer with the physical consequences of her curse and the bad reputation. She would never bear him children, and she still, but he still would provide for her and any children she gave him him before committing the sin. So, what does this have to do with you and me today? Well, there are many perplexing questions associated with this ritual. We'd say, wow, that's, you know, that's Old Testament. That's, what's that got to do with me? Well, I don't want us to miss the message because all of these things are for our profit, right? The whole Word of God, not just part of the Word of God, but the whole Word of God is for our, or in samples for our profit, So let's not miss the message that God has for us. Now, we don't live under the Old Testament ceremonial laws today. If we did, though, I think it would certainly prevent much of the unfaithfulness that's taking place in marriage today. say, wait, I don't want to do that. I don't want to bring this before the church and, and, and everybody see this, you know, if we were doing that. Husband and husbands and wives can't escape the bitter consequences of marital unfaithfulness. Now, God can forgive adultery, and husbands and wives can make a new beginning with the Lord, and yet adultery always hurts everybody and sometimes difficult to live with the consequences of sin that's even forgiven. So that is the way of sinful behavior. Notice with me, secondly, the warning of sinful behavior. The warning. And this is the whole point of this account here in Numbers and why it is relevant to us today. (coughs) It's one of the many warnings of Scripture. God gave adequate warning about sinful behavior. And because God is just, he gives us warnings like this. And he uses us to give those warnings. Notice in Isaiah chapter 53 and, or 58 and verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression in the house of Jacob, their sins. 
1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Billy Sunday said, One reason sin flourishes is that it is treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. We are accountable to God for the way we deal with sin. Ezekiel 3 and verse 18 says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, not speaking to warn the wicked from his wicked ways, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. God uses creation to give warnings and knowledge of him. Romans 1 and verse 20 tells us, For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we or they are without excuse. Because there is a God, man must answer to him one day. This is where we find the the Bible's importance in our lives. It defines and explains what God expects from me. Psalm 19 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 111, verse 7 says, The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. You see, ignoring God's warnings brings judgment into our lives. Psalm, or Proverbs 29, verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Maybe that's been an experience of yours or someone, it's either happened to you or it's happened to someone you know. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in students. Being often reproved and they were just hardening their neck and said, I don't, you know, they just stiffen up. You can see it physically, but it was happening spiritually too. It's a tremendous warning here. If we're going to harden our hearts against God, harden our neck against the reproof that God gives to us in his word, watch out. God gives us a number of warnings in scripture. Notice some of them with me. There's warnings against the perversion of evil. We talk about perversion, we're talking about the perversion or error of the wicked. Second Peter three seventeen. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. These perversions or deceptions include lies about a number of things. For instance, there's lies about Christ. Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. 
There's the consequences of carnal living. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Know ye not that their unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 6 and verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Warnings against the perversions of evil. Then there's the carnal crowd. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. You've got to watch who we hang out with. God warns us about who we run around with. It's not so much a warning for just just a warning for young people. It's a, a warning for adults as well. It does matter who you run around with, who you hang out with. That's the common use today of the idea. Hang out with someone. Spend time with them. If you run with critical people, don't be surprised if you become critical. Solomon warned us about the influence of people in our lives, especially those who are bitter or angry. Proverbs twenty two twenty four: Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Got to watch out who you are with. And then the fourth area is character. The wicked will try to contaminate your character by distorting the truth about what is right and what is wrong. Oh, it's not so bad. You know, yeah, you don't need to you don't need to listen to your parents. I mean, it's, it's you, you can do your own thing. Or you don't need to, to pay attention to what the Bible says. That's a bunch of nonsense. Wicked will try to contaminate your character. The men have a way of toning down sin. They give it different names. Makes it less offensive. 1 John 3, 7 and 8. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God has manifested, and he he might destroy the works of the devil. Man calls sin an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls sin a blunder. Oh, he just blundered. No, God calls it blindness. Man calls sin a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls sin a disease. God labels it deliberate disobedience. Man calls sin an error. God calls it enmity. Man calls sin fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls a sin an infirmity. God calls it iniquity. Man calls sin a trifle. God calls it a, a, a tragedy. Man calls sin a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it a weakness. God calls it willfulness. Folks, listen. God warns us about the perversion or error of the wicked. 
Secondly, there's the warnings against perniciousness. You say, wow, bastard, that's what a, what a word, perniciousness. What's that mean? It means evil. Well, then why didn't you just say evil? Well, evil doesn't start with a P, okay? Psalm 34 and verse 14 says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God says, I'm warning you. Stay away from evil. Seems some people are always looking for trouble. They're always looking for evil. Why? They're ignoring the warnings of God. Thirdly, warnings against the predicament of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, a good rule of thumb to live by is that if anything is questionable, leave it alone. When in doubt, don't. An easy-going Christian life can makes it going easy for the devil. Fourthly, warnings about our priorities and philosophy of life. 1 Corinthians 3.10 According to the grace of God, which give, is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed that how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, when you live for yourself, you end up wasting your life and destroying yourself. Don't fall for the lie that says you have plenty of time to live for God later. Warnings about protecting your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We are to protect our heart against hatred and bitterness and jealousy and pride and greed and selfishness. Number six, warnings against pride. 1 Corinthians 10.12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Your halo only has to slip a few inches to become a noose. A mother whale warned her baby, when you get to the surface and start to blow, that's when you'll get harpooned. I found that some people who claim to be mature Christians are not so mature after all. Their major weakness that makes them immature is their pride. Warnings against pride. And then there are warnings about possibilities of service to the Lord. Colossians 4 and verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. God has given us a ministry. God wants us to finish what he's called us to do. Listen, if you're going to be used of God in his service, you need to be faithful in your marriage. If God has called you to be an officer in this church, you need to be faithful to that office in this church. God has called you to be a Sunday school teacher. You need to be the best faithful Sunday school teacher you can be. We need to focus on being faithful to the Lord. He's going to use us if we're willing. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then there are warnings about the preaching of God's word. 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. 
We are to obey, put into practice the principles and preaching we hear from God's Word. The next one is warnings about purity. 1 Timothy 5.22 Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of another man's sins. Keep thyself pure. Warnings about provoking your children. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then warnings about punishment in eternity. So especially to those who may be here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you've never placed your faith in Him as your Savior. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you ever think of that as a verse of warning? It is. Revelation 21.8 But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Listen, these are serious warnings this morning. We dare not take these things lightly. You might ask, what does that have to do with marital defilement? Listen, if it has everything in the world to do with being faithful in your marriage relationship. If you don't heed these warnings, it won't be long and you'll have problems in your marriage. You'll have problems at work. You'll have problems wherever you go. Where does unfaithfulness in marriage come from? From not heeding these warnings in God's word. Take heed to the perversion of the wicked. Watch out for perniciousness. I challenge you to use that word this week sometime. Don't get yourself in a predicament of evil. Don't establish wrong priorities and philosophies. Protect your heart. Stay away from pride. Be aware, be aware of possibilities of, of service. Obey the principles and the preaching of God's word. Seek after purity. Don't provoke your children and safeguard your life against eternal punishment. If you're not saved, get saved. Let me just close with 20 rules. I haven't listed them for you. I'll just, I'll just give them to you. 20 rules for a happy marriage. First of all, the very nearest approach to domestic happiness on earth is the cultivation on both sides of absolute unselfishness. Secondly, never both be angry at the same time. Never talk at one another, either alone or in company. Never talk, uh, talk loud to one another unless the house is on fire. Let each one strive to yield most often to the wishes of the other. Let self-denial be the daily aim and the practice of each. Never find fault unless it's perfectly certain that fault exists and always speak lovingly. Never taunt with a past, with a past mistake. Never allow a request to be repeated. Do it immediately, if all possible. Now, for older folks, that sometimes gets a little tough because we don't always hear very well, right? 
That's just a lousy excuse. Neglect the whole world rather than one another. Never make a remark at the expense of the other. It's meanness. Never meet without a loving welcome. Never let the sun go down upon any anger or grievance. Never let any fault you've committed go by until you've frankly confessed it and asked for forgiveness. Never forget the happy hours of early love. Never sigh about what might have been, but make the best of what is. Never forget that marriage is ordained of God and that his blessing alone can make it what it should ever be. Never be content until you know you're walking in the narrow way. And never let your hope stop short of the eternal house. Know the Lord as your own and live for him first of all. I think if we who are married would take to heart these 20 rules, I think uh, our marriages might be a lot different. And some of you young people who say, I hope to be married someday, uh, well, you better get a hold of some of these principles now in your life. Because that's God's will for your marriage. If you are going to get married, God's will is that you uh, have a happy marriage. That it be a faithful one. I trust that even as we can look at an Old Testament passage and see that, you know, God has some very serious warnings, some very serious procedures about what should happen. And while we may not go according to those procedures these days, their principles are still there for us to take hold of. And I trust our marriages will be what God wants them to be. Trust our lives will be what God wants them to be, pure, undefiled. Let's pray.